Where would you like to be a better person? Are there things about yourself, are there things about your character, things that you do that you'd actually just like to improve? Would you like to be less selfish, be more content, perhaps let go of hurts a little bit more easily, be more forgiving, less judgmental? Are there certain sins you would just like to get rid of? How do you go about doing that? How do you become a better person? Well, is it a matter of maybe enrolling in a self-help course or self-development course? Perhaps we need to sign up for uh, Tony Robbins, the self-help guru. He's coming out to Sydney next year for a Unleash the Power Within event in Sydney. Uh, hop online, tickets, front area section. It's only going to cost you $3,995. Is that, is that what it's going to take to be a better person? Or save your money. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually tackles that issue in this chapter and his answer is very, very simple. His answer is, when you're a follower of Jesus, you are a better person. And he tells us that in two main ways in this passage. So did you notice the two questions that hang the chapter together? The first one's verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then again in verse 15, there's a very similar question. What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And you see the sort of issue that's going on here. Since we have been saved by God's grace, since we've been saved for free, does that mean that we can just keep sinning because it sort of doesn't matter? If we sin, it's no big deal. We're going to get forgiven for free anyway. Well, Paul's answer to both questions was a resounding no. As Christians, we don't keep on sinning. And the answer that he gives to the two questions is intriguing because it's effectively, we don't sin because that's just who we are now. So look at his first answer in verse 1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, Hold on to your hats a little bit here because Paul is about to embark on a fascinating argument. But it takes a little to get our head around. The argument is we died to Christ. Sorry, we died to sin when Christ died to sin because we died with Christ. Okay? We died to sin when Christ died to sin because we died with Christ. In other words, this is an argument based around the idea that there is a union between us and Christ so that what happens to Christ happens to us. It's mentioned there in verse 3 in terms of us being baptised into Christ. It's mentioned in verse 4 in terms of us being buried with Christ. Verse 5 is where it perhaps gets most clearly expressed. Verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. See, there's a, there's a union happening between us and Christ. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. What is true of Jesus is now true of us. Now, I know it's a little abstract. It's a big idea. It's one we thought of earlier this year in the course of your life. It's the idea that when Jesus died on the cross, he did not just die as our replacement. He died as our representative so that what happened to him happens to us. See, it's like the state of origin footy match this week. 
This Wednesday night, New South Wales and Queensland are going to play each other in the decider of the state of origin, right? But of course, New South Wales is not technically playing Queensland. Uh, This Wednesday night, there's not going to be 7 million New South Wales people on a field playing 4 million Queenslanders. Mind you, that's probably the best chance we've got of winning because we'll outnumber them two to one. What is going to happen is that two representative teams will play each other. But they're representative teams, so there's a close bond between them and us. So if that New South Wales team happens to win this Wednesday, New South Wales will have won. If they win, we celebrate. Because if they win, New South Wales has won, and we're New South Wales. Now that sort of union is the same as with Jesus and his people, only more so. God establishes a union between Jesus and his people. What Christ went through, we have gone through. He died, we died. He lives, we live. He was raised to new life, we will be raised to new life. What is true of Jesus is true of us. Now, as we noted earlier this year in the course of your life, this idea of being united with Jesus is massive. If it's not a common way of you to think about yourself, you need to add it to your framework. It is actually the New Testament's favourite way of describing our relationship with Jesus. And in this passage, Paul is drawing on this idea of our union with, with Christ so as to explain how truly bizarre it is that a follower of Jesus would keep sinning. Because Christ died to sin... We're united with him, so we have too. Verse 5 again, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. And look what he says down in verse 10 about Jesus. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Now, it is a tricky passage because it's a passage where he basically keeps jumping between what Jesus has done and what is now true of us because his point is what Jesus has done is now true of us. We have been united with him. And it's leading up to a very important conclusion at verse 11. Verse 11, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, it may not be immediately obvious, but that verse is a critical turning point in the book of Romans. Verse 11 is the first command in the entire book. It has taken him 147 verses to get there, but this is the first time in the entire letter so far that the Apostle Paul is actually telling us to do something. And what's he telling us to do? Count yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin. Think of yourself as dead. View yourself, regard yourself as dead to sin because of your union in Christ. In other words, this is a command to enter into a whole new way of thinking about yourself because of your union with Christ. And if you haven't started doing this yet, I want to urge you to start doing it from this moment on. That when a temptation comes along and you're tempted to do something which you know is wrong, instead of saying to yourself, oh, I better not do that because 
I'll get into trouble or I better not do that because God will be... Instead of saying that, say, I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am now. I'm not going to get into that level of selfishness and pettiness and anger and laziness and that inability to love. That's not me anymore. That's the old me. I, I died to that. I'm alive to God now. And as Paul points out in verse 13, I don't use my body as an instrument of wickedness anymore. I use it as an instrument of righteousness. Friends, this is profoundly important. Okay, It has taken six and a half chapters to get to this command. Do not quickly pass by it. In many ways, I don't really know how to adequately express the magnitude of what is saying, being said here. If you are a follower of Jesus, here is the self-image which you are to picture yourself with. Here is how we are to think about ourselves. And please, this is not some corny visualisation trick. You know how you know self-help courses, they tell you to visualise things in order to bring them about? You know, Picture yourself as being successful and that will help you be successful. Or, you know, see yourself driving the red Porsche down the street and then one day you will be riding, driving the red. That's not what he's talking about. This is not wishful thinking. This is not positive thinking about what you hope will happen. This is opening your eyes to who you really are. And that makes it incredibly far-reaching because how you think about yourself affects everything. How you see yourself affects the choices you make and the friends you choose and the jobs you'll apply for and how you treat your kids and how you treat your mum and dad. How you see yourself impacts everything. And this passage is telling you how to see yourself. It's saying that when you are in Christ, you are better than you think. You have died to sin. In fact, if that is not enough, Paul goes on to press this point even further by again repeating the same sort of question that started the chapter. But this time his answer as to why we don't keep on sinning is not so much about being dead to sin, it's about now being a slave to obedience which is again a very definitive and strong image. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, a little bit of a foreign thing happening here, but verse 16 is tapping into a situation that would have been very familiar to the original audience, uh, this is the situation of the slave market. Uh, because when you offer yourself to be a slave, which tragically lots of people back then had to, before social welfare, just in order to be able to have enough to survive, enough for their family to live on, people would sell themselves to someone else. And when you did that, you obeyed that master. That was the deal. Paul is drawing on that image to make the point in verse 16 that all of us are, in a sense, slaves. That when a, when a temptation comes along, we, we either offer ourselves to sin, which is then our master and we're a slave to that, or we offer ourselves to obedience. And that's our master and we're a slave to, to obedience. 
And what, where Paul is going with this is that as followers of Jesus, now that we have been united with Christ, we have moved from one master to the other. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you have to which you were entrusted, in other words, you responded to the gospel, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It's a very forceful statement. You know how sometimes, you, you know, down the street, you, uh, business puts a sign up on the road and you know, says, under new management. Okay, and when they do that, they're telling you there's a new boss in town and now, now there's a whole new approach. The, the business has a whole new way of doing things. And the subtext of a sign like that is usually, I think, when they put out an under new management, what they're really saying is, hey, if you had a bad experience here before, come back and give us another go. Because we've changed. No, the coffee's better now. Uh, the menu's different now. The, the service, we're under new management. When you are in Christ, we ought to hang a little sign around our neck saying under new management. Because that is what Paul is saying here. There's a new boss in town, okay? And the power of sin in our lives is broken. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to obedience. And that's fantastic because of the benefits we reap. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. I was talking to a bloke the other day who just changed jobs and he was telling me how fantastic the new job was. Uh, the previous one, he'd been just getting stale in it, it wasn't really him, a lot of stress. The new place is terrific, really nice fit. Uh, the rest of the staff treat him like he's a real person, lovely change. That's us. In Christ. Slaves to sin, conditions were terrible. Nothing to look forward to except punishment, judgment, shame. Now we're in Christ, you see. Slaves to obedience. Conditions are fantastic. Eternal superannuation plan. A master who cares for us. It's all good. Extraordinarily good. As sin no longer masters us. And it's building on what we've already seen in the first half of the chapter because he's telling us that we don't simply now count ourselves as dead to sin. We actually have the power to conduct ourselves as dead to sin. We have changed masters. We are under new management. Now, this is phenomenal. So phenomenal that Paul is going to say a lot more about this over the next couple of chapters. He's going to point out, this is going to lead to a discussion about how God's own spirit is at work in us. But here now, he's simply content to say, hey, slavery to sin is over. It no longer controls you. It no longer reigns in you. You We have died to it. We are now slaves to obedience. And again, this emphasis now that's washing into the book about living in obedience, it's a turning point in the bit of a book because it's actually fleshing out something that Paul said way back in chapter 1. 
In chapter 1, we notice when we look back there at chapter 1, he threw out lots of big summary statements about the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. Lots of summary statements, which in the chapters after that, he's been unpacking them one by one. One of the summary statements he made in chapter 1, verse 5, was that the, the gospel involves obedience that comes from faith. Obedience that comes from faith. And that is what he is now unpacking. That following Jesus, being in Christ, is, involves obedience that comes from faith. In other words, please hear this. In other words, being a Christian is not simply trusting in Jesus' death on the cross and then going off and living no differently. Being a Christian is far grander than that. Being a Christian is a much more epic transformation than that. It is about trusting in Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and then having a changed life because of it. Being obedient because of it. And please, please understand this. This changed life, this obedient life, it's not coming from keeping rules and regulations. It's coming from being a new person. And it's realising that you're a new person. For when we respond by faith to what God has done for us in Christ, extraordinarily God establishes a union between us and Christ where he becomes our replacement and our representative and we are changed. And so in answer to the question, shall we go on sinning, Paul doesn't list off a whole heap of commandments to put us on a guilt trip. Thou shalt not sin, thou shalt not sin, thou shalt... That's not the tone at all. In answer to the question, shall we go on sinning, what the Apostle Paul does is he tells us who we are in Christ. We have died to sin. We are slaves to obedience. And the one commandment he gives us, just open your eyes to who you are. And so when temptations come this week, and they will, when you feel the pull to give in to selfishness and laziness, depravity, bitterness, remember who you are. You're in Christ. Count yourself dead to sin. Have nothing to do with it because now on the inside, that is actually the sort of person you really are. And that's exciting because we don't run around ticking off a whole lot of bunch of rules. We live a new life. We're in Christ. We're serving a new master. We're under new management. That's who we are. I'll pray. Father, thank you for this passage. It's hard to get our heads around parts of it, but we ask that by your word and by your spirit, you would help us to struggle with these big ideas so that we would see ourselves for who we really are now in Christ. Father, thank you that your precious son died not just as our substitute but as our representative and that the union that you have established between us and him is such that we have now that we are now living a new life. Thank you for the transformation that you have brought about in us so that we are 
so that we have died to sin and are now slaves to obedience. And we pray that even this week you would help us by your word and spirit to live out who we are in Christ so that your son would be honoured. Amen.